we like to thank today's sponsor, TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is the premier YouTube channel management and video optimization toolkit. YouTube creators will find their new best friend in TubeBuddy. Their browser extension adds a layer of amazing functionality right on the top of YouTube's website. You can perform bulk updates to your videos, such as adding annotations or cards to all your videos with just a few clicks. You can perform find replace on your videos just as you were using a word processor. You can generate professional custom thumbnails using screen prints and branding text layers. You can engage with your audience quicker and more efficiently. You can export your list of subscribers and their social profiles. You can get detailed analysis of competitor channels. You can promote your new upload across other videos. The list just goes on and on. Today's sponsor is TubeBuddy. Go into the podcast notes page and click on TubeBuddy and get it today. Hey, family, welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and this is episode number 79. Today, I have a really awesome entrepreneur with a great story. For the first 24 years of his life, Chris Rickerson's future looked really dim. He grew up in poverty with a drug-addicted mother and drug demons of his own. Facing dire consequences, he turned his life around and in 2013 started Elite Staffing Solutions, a Wichita, Kansas-based staffing company that lifts up people who are struggling as he once did. And the company has now turned over $3 million plus in revenue a year. So he has a really great story to tell about his struggles and how he's risen above those struggles and turned to profits. We're talking about conscious capitalism because not only has he become successful and well off financially, but he's helping others do the same. So I hope you really get something out of this story. Without further ado, here is my man, Chris Rickerson. Hey, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Priest. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you. I read your story in an article within Inc. and you have an amazing story, amazing background. It's kind of the ideal show that I like to have an entrepreneur that I like to talk to in terms of how you started your business, where you've come from, and the success that you're seeing today. Just to share a little background here, will you talk about your beginnings as you got into better understanding yourself, if that makes sense? And just tell us a little bit about yourself in that regard. I come from a really rough upbringing and background. I grew up in poverty. I was a a single parent household. I got a late start in growing up, you could say. It was just a struggle. Mm -hmm. My mom was uh, an intravenous drug user. My earliest childhood memories were waiting outside the closet and the police raiding our house. And, you know, in turn, I would grow up in boys' homes and detention facilities all over the state of Kansas. And, you know, when they put you in with hoodlums, you you come out of hoodlums. Right. You know, I mean, you just kind of you, you adapt to your environment. I think everyone does that. I'm very adamant that in the end, I would wind up struggling with addictions myself and getting in a lot of trouble as a young man, like struggling to identify and have family. My mom was adopted. So the extent of my family was my mom. I didn't have any other family. There was no one else. 
then you really, I think, start to struggle with identifying who you are as a person and what that's going to look like. And so I took a hard right turn in the wrong direction. I battled addictions. I started selling drugs as a young, you know, I guess young man, about 15 or 16 years old. I really began to sell drugs and, and I caution really heavily against judgment. You know, it's really easy for people who grow up in a different type of upbringing to look down their nose and say, well, you know, how did you wind up there or why would you do that? But I'm very adamant about the environment that I grew up in. I'm lucky I came out of it at all. Right. If your mom is a drug addict and you grow up in that type of environment, let's see how you come out of that environment. I'm just grateful. But I I took a hard right turn. I would sell drugs heavily. I've always been bright, motivated, and full of ambition. And I was all of those things then. I just was pointing them in a negative direction. And so I've always worked in the battle of good and evil. I was just choosing at that time to work on the wrong side of that. You know, by the time I was 18, the police knew me on a first name basis. And and I had a whole bunch of charges. I caught my first real drug possession charge uh, at the age of 17. Mm. And it was possession of cocaine with the intent to distribute. I was very fortunate and blessed that at the time, the laws were not like they are now, where as an adolescent, you get sentenced as an adult. It was still pretty early on in that process. You know, that was back in, what, 1997? Mm. So what happened to me at that point was I was sentenced to juvenile detention facility. I went to court two days before my 18th birthday. So what I had to do was sit in grown-up jail while I waited for them to send me to juvenile detention. And I remember those guys in that jail cell trying to talk sense into me. Because at that point, I am 18 years old, I'm a punk kid, and I'm going in the wrong direction. And I remember those guys passionately trying to tell me that this was not the road that I wanted to go on. I don't know if you remember what it was like at 17 or 18 years old to have grownups trying to talk sense in you, and I definitely was not hearing it. And so I did my time in juvie, and I got out, and I went right back to running the streets. Mm -hmm. I got in so much trouble. I can tell you I've spent over $10,000 on expungements trying to get my Second Amendment rights back. I have so many charges that I couldn't even remember or recall them all. When I went to the SBA to try to get funding on my business, They want you to revisit every negative spec on your background. And at that point, I had closed that chapter in my life. I'd moved forward and I didn't care to relive it. So needless to say, I did not get funding from the SBA. After that, I would run the streets. I would catch at least three felony charges. And I was a career criminal at that point. Mm -hmm. I really poured my heart into it. Boy, I'm passionate. And I was obsessed with success. And it was just in a negative direction. So I narrowly avoided prison and uh, I I was homeless and not in the traditional sleeping on a bench sense, but I did not have a home. And I went from home to home to home and bounced off of couches and and what little sleeping I did. I never knew where I was going to be the next day and just a lot of stress. I spent some time on the run and I can remember bondsmen's kicking in my front door and literally punching people I lived with in the face trying to chase me down. I had a rough, rough, rough run. Chris has been open like a book during the whole interview. The further I probed, the more he shared about the trouble he was faced with before starting his business. I shared with Chris that there was real beauty in struggle. And sometimes great things like himself and his business are birthed out of those struggles. And he continued to share more with me. 
In 2001, I began to try to turn my life around, and it was as close to clean as I had ever been before. I had moved to Oklahoma, Grove, Oklahoma, to be with my foster dad. It was as close to clean as I'd ever been. I was still smoking pot. I was smoking a lot of pot, and I was actually even growing pot at that time. I had gotten a DUI with a guy in my truck who was involved in some things that I wasn't aware of at that point in time. So you were still in close company with people from your past as you're trying to clean yourself up. These were new people. So I moved to Grove, Oklahoma. And at this point, I think I'm 21 years old. The short version of that is that a guy implicated me in some burglaries that had happened in Grove, Oklahoma. So way back before all of this happened, my mom's house was raided twice by the time I was 13. And on the second instance of that house being raided, or maybe it was the first one, I don't know, it's all kind of a blur, but the head of the DEA in Butler County, Kansas, had me and I was sitting down and I was crying and he was asking me why I was crying. And at the time, I remember very vividly, I told him it was because they broke my mirror in my room. It was behind the door and when they busted open the door, it it broke. So he said, hey, don't worry, we'll replace it. And that was the end of that at that point. I was yanked out of the home. I was put in boys' homes and detention centers and I traveled the state as a ward of the state. And then when I would try to get my life together at 21 years old, I moved to Grove, Oklahoma, and I was trying to get my life together and I got a DUI with a kid. He was in passenger seat of my truck and that same head of detectives or that same head of DEA turned out to be the head of detectives in Ottawa County, a county away from where I moved to in Grove, Oklahoma to try to get my life straight. Mm. And the kid that I got the DUI in was involved in burglaries and he implicated me in some burglaries. So in 2001, I found myself charged with two counts of burglaries that I didn't commit. And I'll tell you that I committed a lot of crimes. I did a lot of things that I'm ashamed of and that I don't have any problem admitting. Mm -hmm. That's from robbing drug dealers and you name it, I did it. I was an addict. But I will tell you definitively that I did not commit these two crimes of burglary I was charged with. And it started as one. And my dad got a loan on his truck and he bonded me out. And then the police raided my house looking for stolen merchandise. So now I'm on my third police raid. They didn't find any stolen merchandise because I didn't rob the houses, but they did find some marijuana. And so they took me to jail and then I bonded out again. And then they charged me with another counter burglary, doubled my bond. Now my bond is $40,000. My dad can't get me out of jail and I'm 21 years old. So what happened was a gal picked me out of a photo lineup. And I said, for sure, when they do a real lineup, when this lady sees me in person, she's going to... No, it's not you. That's right. But what happened the day of my preliminary, she picked me out of the stand-up lineup. Wow. And so two months I've been sitting in jail. I'm 21 years old. My spirits are crushed. I'm bawling. The district attorney comes to me and says, Chris, if you'll sign here, we'll let you out. That's what I did. I signed it. I pled guilty. And I was mad. I was mad at the country. I was mad at the government. I was mad at God. I was mad at the system. I was mad at everyone. Being mad at God, you were in the beginning stages of your turnaround. And here something was thrown at you that you're like, of all the things I should be caught up for, I'm caught up for something I didn't do. And you were at this point right now. I want to add, I really want to emphasize my resentment. I cannot emphasize my resentment enough. But here's the thing, I wasn't done. And so first I would go to Utah and then I would come back to Kansas, Mm -hmm. move out from my foster dad, and then I would really go to work selling drugs again. And it was bad. I, I was addicted to meth and I was 
in a ring of meth cooks, and it, it was as bad as you can paint that picture. That's how deep I was into that. Well, I'm thinking Breaking Bad. You were in an RV. Is that kind of... Yeah, it, it, it wasn't an RV, but it was bad, <laughs> okay. right? And so, um, you know, and here's the thing, man. I'm not proud of this stuff. I'm ashamed of it. And I was on another show where a guy asked me, is it good to talk about this for business purposes? And I want to be very clear. No, it's not. Is this the type of image that I want to paint as a business person? Absolutely not. But I do it for the glory of God, because in my story, man, there is redemption. Mm it is due there. And so I'm resentful and I'm angry and I'm, I'm out there and I'm selling drugs and I can't even remember when, but I wind up catching another case. I'm on the run from probation in Butler County. I've got walked charges, which is a Kansas term of where they've charged you with things, but they've let it go to see if you'll get in more trouble. And so I am in about as much trouble as I can possibly be in. I remember one day I'm riding shotgun in a stolen car and I look up and the sheriffs are at my house and it's a trailer. I'm in the get up. And it is, I remember it vividly. I'm taking a bite of a cheeseburger. I'm trying to mouth to this chick with my mouth full that the police are right up the road. I'm on the run. And I'll give you the shortest version is that I eventually wind up in Sedgwick County Jail and they have brought back up the WAPT charges and I'm begging them to let me go to treatment. Even like a couple years before that, I am sitting in jail, and it's the first time I picked up a Bible and diligently sought Christ. And I picked up a Bible, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm begging God, please let me out of this. Please help me out. I will give you my life. I will change. Fact of the matter is, those were lies, man. I was lying. God knew they were lies, and He forgave me anyway, man. He loved me when I couldn't love myself. And so, I would say those prayers and I would beg God and and then I'd get out and I'd go right back to it. Anyway, back to where we just were. I was on the run. They brought those charges up. They said, look, we'll give you four years in prison, but we'll give you two years corrections, probation. And if you can complete that, then you won't have to go to prison. Before we can do that, we have to release you to Butler County because you have warrants in Butler County. I just stopped reporting to probation and got released to Butler County. And after a couple of appearances of begging the judge, I said, I want treatment. I want treatment. And they let me out. But I had a four day wait before I could go to treatment. And at that point in my life, they let me out. I've got four days before I've got to be to treatment. And at that point in my life, all I knew was selling drugs. That's all I knew. It was all I knew. And so I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out my second time in my freshman year. And that's all I had done since. And so I went and I got an ounce of meth on front and I began to go to work so I can make some money before I went into treatment. That tells you the level of my intelligence, meaning I had none, right? I was a moron. <laughs> and uh so when you were saying I want to do treatment, you knew that I'm, I'm just trying to skirt out the easy way. I don't really care about treatment. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't want prison. I knew that. Right. 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 So here I am and it's time for me to go to treatment. And I have an ounce and an eight ball of meth left and I need to get rid of it before I go to treatment. And so I go to one of these guys that I knew and this was a bad guy. He had been in a lot of trouble and somehow he always avoided trouble. I stop at his house and I'm trying to get rid of this. And he proceeds to convince me. I was a streetwise guy. I was very streetwise. I knew a gal that could do some amazing things with checks. I mean, I was very streetwise. I grew up on the streets, but money order scams were cutting edge. And what this guy proceeded to convince me to do, he kept trying to get me to take a gun. I'm like, I'm on my way to treatment. I do not need your gun. You know, this is where my life is at at this point. So he says, look, I've got this money order. It's for my rent. 
but I'll give you this money order. And I said, great. So I gave him $100 cash and I gave him the eight ball. And I proceeded to go across the street to cash this money order. And again, I want to emphasize my street wisdom. I'm not a moron. This sounds stupid today. Mm -hmm. It was cutting edge at the time. I go across the street. I've got an eight ball of meth in my pocket. I've got a set of digital scales. And I'm trying to cash what I would very soon find out is a fraudulent money order. Mm. I'm on release from two counties, supposed to be on my way to treatment. This is where my life is. And as I'm in line, the police walk up behind me. And they say, hey, Chris. Again, they know me on a first-name basis. How's it going? All right, so as I'm standing there, they ask me, what do you have in your pockets? I say, well, I got this set of digital scales, and I give them that set of digital scales. One cop takes it out to the car. The other one's standing right beside me. I've got an eight ball of meth in my pocket, and I'm trying to put it in a trash can. And as I put my hand in that trash can and drop it in there, that trash can's got one of those spring-loaded lids on it, and it goes thump, and my heart drops, and I think that's the end of that, that that cop surely heard that. By the grace of God, that cop did not hear that. And so they took me to jail and I bonded out and I went to treatment. And I have been clean ever since. Wow. How long has that been? Over a decade. I know most people count that. I've been clean about 13 years. Wow. Yep. 13 years ago, I was homeless. That's where I was at. Here's what I want to say. I just want to tie all of that in together. That resentment and anger and all of that stuff that I felt when wrongfully charged and pled out, so ultimately convicted, all of that resentment was just all part of God's plan. I would not be clean today if it were not for those convictions. My criminal history was so bad, I was in the A box. For those that are not familiar with that, it's as bad as it gets. And it was because of those charges that I finally got my life straight, that I finally got clean. So that resentment and anger and hate about those charges that I did not commit, really ultimately that was all part of God's plan because it's the only reason I didn't get caught in a lab or get shot. I mean, there are several points in my life where I, I should have died. I've been in about six high-speed chases. One of them, I was in the bed of a pickup truck during. Holy cow. Uh, probably the only reason I didn't come out of that bed of that truck is because that cop stopped chasing us, probably because he feared for my life. Yeah. Again, man, I just, I praise God, man. Woo! That, you know, today, man, my life is lovely. Chris opens up at this moment to share what happens after he starts to see himself further removed from the life he once knew. So your story now leads into that you have children along the way, three boys, if I remember correctly, three boys. You're essentially, or you were a single father trying to reestablish yourself, or maybe you didn't have the three boys at that time, but you had children yes. trying to reestablish yourself. Bring us to that point, because obviously you didn't just kick off and start your own business right out the gate, but what did you do to start generating a little revenue remove yourself from the negative influences and really focus in on who Chris is and what Chris' legacy needs to be. So from treatment, I went into what is known as an Oxford house. And an Oxford house is kind of like a frat house. I mean, it's you're free to come and go as you please. It's like a frat house, but no drugs and alcohol. And that's where I really began to learn how to live life. I'm an advocate for that program. I'm not actively involved in it. But when you take a look at my life and you say, well, heck, look at where he's at. That's the step I took that was monumental to me. Again, none of this was by choice. At this point, I was being ordered by corrections to go to an Oxford house. I got a job tending brick for $8 an hour. 
And I think the key to it was for me to treat that job like it was my only option Mm -hmm. for success. You named it initially, it's passion, right? And so I don't care if you're picking up trash or if you're whatever, but if you don't appreciate and aren't grateful for it and don't treat it like you truly care about it, I think that what happened is there was a guy at some point that gave me a shot. My three-time felony conviction, recovering addict, gave me a shot for $8 an hour to haul brick up and down 10 sets of scaffold manually. And I was grateful. And so what does that mean? That means that if you give a guy an opportunity that no one else will give an opportunity to, that's trying to do the right thing and deserves an opportunity, I'll tell you what, he had the most badass brick carrying $8 an hour worker he ever saw in his life. (laughs) So, um, you know, and that was the first step. And then I, I got a job directing poker tournaments for uh, a regional poker company. It's kind of hard to explain without without dropping their name. But uh, Was it online or no, just a little No, poker? absolutely not. It was kind of like bar poker. Oh, okay. I would bring people. So got I would it. go into the bars and I would try to get them to allow us to bring our game into their facility. And then in turn, our players would buy drinks, food and alcohol, or food and alcohol during those events. So they would do that on their slow times to bring people in. Got it. I did really well there, man. I was making $9 an hour at that time. I'm still living in an Oxford house and I was not the man of God that I am today. And I had a baby out of marriage in a relationship that I did not want to be in. But what happened is at six months in, that baby wound up in my lap. So here I am, I'm a single man, 24 years old. I live in an Oxford house. I barely make $9 an hour and I'm trying to figure out how to live life, right? At this time... Chris begins to transition into a responsible adult and taking care of his three boys and now finds himself on a new journey, hustling for a new gig. And so, you know, I've got a baby. I get my first little house. It's $400 a month or $350 a month or whatever it is. And I'm working doing that. And then I wind up dispatching tanker trucks, monitoring major corporations' fuel levels. And I was making about 30 grand a year doing that. And it did not play to my strong suits at all. And I was with that for a couple years. And then I got a job doing sales for a staffing company. And at this point, I'm, you know, I don't know, half a decade, maybe more clean and really just making my niche in the world, trying to provide. And I wind up having two more kids. Now I'm raising three. Um, That relationship also, again, I just wasn't where I needed to be. So that relationship also failed. And now I'm raising three kids. I go take a job for a sales rep for a staffing company and I knock on doors and there was no training program at all, but I went and beat on every door in town. And I said, look, if you'll give me an opportunity, no one is gonna work harder for you than I am. I promise you that. And ultimately that's what happened. I wound up getting a lot of opportunities and then I delivered on that. If one of my employees didn't show up to go work a shovel, I went out and worked that shovel. I did whatever I had to do to make sure that my customers were taken care of because I wasn't going backwards. I was going forwards. You know, at this point, money was my motivator. I'd never had financial success like I wanted it. And so that was my drive. Money was my drive. And I killed myself. Mm. And my last year there, so Kansas cost of living is low, man. Median Mm -hmm. combined household income is 70 grand a year. That's husband and wife. So it doesn't take much to have a lot in Kansas. 
My last year there as a sales rep, I was pacing to make 70. So I was making the income of two by myself. That's not bad from what I come from. And, and I killed it. I killed it for that company. They were detached from their organization and it was not a good work environment. So ultimately I got out of there and I started my own company and, you know, doing that literally by myself in here. And I'm raising three kids by myself at that point. Mm -hmm. And I gambled it all. I put my house on the line. I refinanced a 2003 Ford Windstar so I could just afford daycare for them. I maxed out my credit cards and I put it all on the line, man. And you couldn't have convinced me that this thing wasn't going to be successful. There was no convincing me. Talk about betting on yourself. This brings us into Elite Staffing Solutions as we talk about your business here and what brought you into the firm. But when I first started out, I didn't know what I wanted to do after I graduated high school. And I went to a staffing company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin where I was born and raised before relocating down to North Carolina. And if no one has ever worked for a staffing company before, and I'm young, I'm only 18 or somewhere thereabouts, and you get an interesting group of people because these are, in some respect, the downtrodden, the pushed away, the kind of people that have records in some respect that need a second chance. Some people don't, at least from my experience, they don't really have a desire to keep a full-time job. They just need a check, an immediate check for their own addictions or whatever. Uh, you know, I would see people come to the, the job drunk. So it's an interesting collective group of people. And then, you, of course, you would have a small group of people that wanted to really drive, but they needed a second opportunity. And so it only makes sense to me for you. Here you are, somebody that had the history that you have, needed a chance, somebody bet on you, paid you $8 an hour to start hauling brick. You were extremely grateful for it, then moved on to a couple jobs. Now to turn around and start your own company and see the other Chris's of the world and give them a chance. You having the history that you have, has that given you a more humanistic view of people in terms of knowing who needs the second chance and wanting to help people and putting people above profits? It makes me the best at what I do in my market. Mm. Because of my past, you're not going to come in my office high on anything and go to work for me. Mm -hmm. And that puts me a step above my competition right there. It really, I've just got a good read with people. I've been through a lot and I'm passionate at this point. So again, what I want to talk about is how it was all about the money. Like that's what it was about for me. But at some point, and you can kind of cut and paste this if you need to, but to highlight the success that I've experienced with my company, my first year I did a million and a half in revenue. My second year I grew 67% and I was the fastest growing company in my city. I would go on to become the Chamber of Commerce finalist, not the winner, a finalist for the Chamber of Commerce Small Business of the Year. Then I would the next year, cross over 3 million in revenue and make Inc's 500's fastest growing companies in the United States of America. I was the fastest growing company in the state of Kansas on that list. So I hit amazing success, mm -hmm. but it was not too long into that thing that God told me, Chris, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. I remember I went and pulled some cash out of my, my aunt is also my banker. She's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but I pulled a stack of cash out of the bank and I brought it into my office and I just set it on my desk and I was really looking for motivation because, you know, I don't care what kind of startup company you're doing, but if you're doing a startup company and it's exploding, there are times when it is just hell. 
when you say, man, why am I doing this, right? Hell, because you lose your soul in the process of running the business? I'll never lose my soul as a result of my business, but no, hell, because I'm trying to figure it all out on my own. You know, I'm on this island by myself, so to speak. I have built this business. It has exploded. I employed 1,200 people last year. Wow. And so when you talk about dealing with that particular demographic of a lot of temporary staffing, and you're dealing with those 9 and $10 an hour workers, and you're employing 150 of them, and you're a high school dropout, and you've had to figure out how to fund, build, and just this amazing beast. There are points where you are just like, I'm over this right now. And that's what I mean. And so it was one of those points where I pulled out a stack of cash and I put it on my desk and I was like, looking for it to motivate me. When I first got in financially successful and I have a vision of me standing on a mountain and God is telling me it's not about the money and I'm lifting my arms up and I'm yelling at God, could I not have just enjoyed this for a year? Because it was like literally the moment, boom, the moment. So for me, the money is what God used to get me through all of that, motivate me to where I'm at today. But today it's not about the money as much. I want God to be first. And I use my business as a platform to be able to give hope, motivate and inspire the people that come through my doors. Because the fact of the matter is we live in a society that just wants to tear people down, look down our nose at them, destroy them, lock them in prison, whatever it is. But we are not taking the time to look back, reach down, and try to lift people up. And it's not that I do a lot, but I'll tell you what, a guy that comes through my doors who might be at that turning point in his life, that fork where he's trying to decide, does he go left or right? I'm going to tell him my testimony. I'm going to tell him about my struggles. I'm going to tell him where I'm at today. And I'm going to give him hope that it is overcomable. Mm. And that could, it may not do anything. That guy might still take a right turn, but it could be the difference. And so I went down to Oklahoma and I went down into the detention centers and I'm talking to the youth and as much time as God will allow me to be able to handle it, I'm going to give back in that manner and I'm trying to build people up and help them. And I look back at where I come from and, and what I went through. I see a lot of people who come through my doors and they can't seem to get past it. And the differentiator that I see, the main thing is that I can look back and even though my mom was an addict and my environment sucked and I had everything in the world that I can think of against me, I didn't blame anybody else. I owned it. I said, this is my mess. I made it. And this is where I'm going and nothing's going to stop me. I'm getting out of it. I'm changing things for my genealogy hmm. and nothing's going to stop me. And a lot of it is owning it. And so if we can't own our messes, regardless of what it is, could be your marriage, could be, you know, whatever your challenges are, whatever it is. If you want to blame everyone else about those things, whatever it is, we all have those things. If you just blame everyone else, guess what? You can't fix them. You can't fix it. But as soon as the problem is you, oh man, you got complete control over that. One of the things I was going to ask you, Chris, was what do you think are some of the most important steps towards this amazing growth that you've seen at Elite Staffing Solutions? And what I hear in this, and it's kind of interesting because initially when we started our conversation, you said somebody asked you, hey, don't you think this is bad for business? Because you're talking about your past and you don't want to be a businessman that looks this way. Although when I listen to your story, People may have a different story, but nobody wants the projector of their life rolled into a gym and everybody gets front row seat 
But what I hear is that you have a story to tell people that may have been in similar circumstances, situations, and that in itself provides a trust. People want to work harder for you. They want to do better for you. They probably work so hard that it has brought to light some of the successes of Elite Staffing Solutions because of their faithfulness to you, your faithfulness to God, so forth and so on. Would you contribute your testimony and your ability to communicate that to the people as one of the successes of your company? I think so. In the beginning, these were things that I was not vocal about. Hmm. It was only until I really became successful and realized the amount of influence that I had on the people around me that I began to become more vocal about it. And the more that God got a hold of me, man, I'm going to tell you that seven years ago, I went to church every Sunday and figuratively speaking, and maybe sometimes not figuratively speaking, you'd find me at church on Sunday and at the strip club on Saturday or whatever it was. The fact of the matter is I was going to church and I thought I was a Christian, but I wasn't. And I started going to a little church in Park City, man, and I really began to develop a relationship with Christ that caused me to understand that today I have to sacrifice. If it's real, then I sacrifice doing the things that I might do otherwise. They go away and I allow God to make me somebody that I wasn't before. I'm doing it the way that he's called it to be. And as a result of doing that, man, he has changed me. He gets glory for who I am today. We talked about some of the things both on a personal level that you feel like has propelled you and you being more confident to talk as you've had more success within your personal business. So you feel compelled to be more vocal about your relationship. And I can hear the passion that it's just not religion. It is relationship, which there is a difference. Yes. But what are some other components that you think as a businessman and as a business owner have been the keys to you being successful? Dude, you said it all when you said passion, man. I'm so full of passion, I can't be stopped. Mm. And I think a lot of that in my industry, a lot of it is service. I start my day at 3.30 in the morning. We open at 5.15 a.m. It is not a joke, man. I'm real serious about my business. I will tell you that my passion, though, is giving back and motivational speaking and sharing my testimony and doing things along that nature. It's my passion. And I'm going to tell you, 10 years ago, God told me I was going to do that. And I trust him and I hold tight to that. I have zero doubt that what I've been through will be used in more powerful ways. And that's just the beginning, man, because God is going to use me and he's going to use my story and it's going to make a difference. And so please, you know, to any listeners out there who might be listening, who, uh, dude, I'm all about it. Whether I get, I don't care about getting paid to do it. I just care about doing what God has told me I'll do, which is reach people. And that's it, man. That's really good stuff. So Chris, on a more personal level, and as you develop as a businessman and a business owner, what kind of mentors, how does your mentors look? Or are you like priest mentors is in for me? I just, I go where I'm directed. I mean, do you have mentors? How does that shape out for you? I wish that staffing was not as niche as it is. Staffing is everyone's in non-compete agreements and it's a real stiff competition locally. So I don't have a mentor really in staffing, which would have been very, very helpful, but I seek a lot of counsel. So I'm a member of a group called Vistage. It's a pretty darn cool thing where CEOs get together. There's some pretty powerful people in my group and mm -hmm. they come together and they just talk about their struggles and their problems. And I think that you're a fool if you're not seeking wisdom from people. And so I think it's critical. If you want to be successful, I, I don't know everything. I own my weaknesses and I have to seek that. So I get it where I can, although it's not as much as I would like. What about 
advice to other entrepreneurs if people are wanting to get started or they're in a similar circumstance as you and they can't get loans and they feel like, well, what's the use? What could you share with them to kind of get them encouraged? Most of it is, A, obviously risk. Mm. I think in the beginning, I took a lot of risk, but you couldn't have convinced me that it was a risk at the time. There are two types of people. There are those types that will see the opportunity and then they'll get scared because they're comfortable and they won't pull that trigger. And then there's those that will pull that trigger. And so I think I wouldn't encourage anybody to take crazy risks, but you have to be willing to take some risks in order to make it work. I do a little bit of mentoring and there's a young man that I've been meeting with and he is like all wanting to start his business. He's not happy in his job, but he makes $24 an hour or whatever it is. And I'm like, look, man, Mm -hmm. you need to do that with passion today because that's what you've got. I think a lot of that is, look, it's not going to fall on your lap. It's going to take a lot of work. And if you're not willing to figure it out, someone else is willing to figure it out. Determination, passion, for me, that's what it was. Just owning your stuff, analyzing your weaknesses. That's good advice that you talk about with that young man that is making really good money. People are listening to this saying $24 an hour is not is not nothing to blink at. That's really good. I think what we're losing sometimes as entrepreneurs is once we get tired of something or working in a business, we feel like we can sow the seed of disregard, bitterness, so forth and so on with that job. And somehow we're going to get something better when the reality of it is, and this was all in your testimony here, is that look, whether you're hauling bricks, whether you're working for a poker company, whatever it is you're doing, do it like you own it already. And that will be the seed of your next thing. And sometimes that next thing means you'll have to launch out and just do it afraid to you and to myself, because I also had a child when I was young. We have to take more calculated risks, but risk nonetheless. And I was similar where I knew I had to take risks, but they had to be much more calculated because my failure and my fall, if you will, would take a couple of people with me. So I really admire your passion, your willingness to share your story with other people and your willingness to just be in the business of helping people because people that are selling widgets out there really I think the frustration comes in when they go home. They're like, is what I'm doing really impactful? They can't see the impact of it because they're selling ice cream cones or whatever it is. And they can spin it any way they want and say, I'm selling happiness. But you truly are making an impact on people's lives and really changing the trajectory of where some people are going, whether it's poverty or they would die because of medicine because they don't have money to buy it or a million different scenarios out there. So this is what really, really drew me to your story. I mean, it is really amazing at your approach that you're taking and your willingness to share such a really personal story. When I was talking about how initially it was all about the money and that's what I was going for. Yep. About a year and a half ago, or maybe just about a year ago, um, I started really struggling with trying to figure out what my mission statement was. And that's when Mm. we came up with People Before Profit. And initially that was for my internal staff. So I used to work for another staffing company and they did a lot of banquets and the banquets were minimum wage and they would need 30 people and you would put 50 on it and 20 would show up and it would be a complete nightmare. And I said, you know what? I'm not gonna do that to my internal staff because I've lived that nightmare. And so that statement initially was geared towards my internal staff. 
But what happened was that that evolved and it became meant for all my employees and it became people over profit because it was in my face. And in staffing, staffing can be an oppressive industry by nature. There are probably millions of companies out there that are just about making the dollar in all industries, but in staffing specifically. And it is build a customer as much as you can, pay the employee as little as possible, and then pocket all the difference. Mm-hmm. And my mentality on that, it has been, look, I'm not overly greedy. I'll match rates. I'll pay the employee better. And we will have a win-win-win all the way around. Mm-hmm. The employee will have a better quality of life. Uh, I won't be trying to find a minimum wage and worker for you. And you're going to have a more happy, dependable employee. And so people over profit, that became the mission statement. And then I had to be held accountable for that. And so in staffing, it's very common for people to put individuals on a job and then them to be treated poorly because they're a temporary, they're a temp. And for me, making that the mission statement and being a man of integrity, now, if you're not treating my people like people, then you're going to be somebody else's customer because that's not how I'm going to operate. And so it's been just really, really good. Does that mean I'm not going to make money as a business? No, I run a profitable business, but I'll tell you what, we try to treat everybody with respect. And when an employee who might be a convicted felon goes through the doors at a temp company or a staffing company, they may not get treated that way. It's very common for it not to be that way. And that does go a long way. Just treating people with respect and trying to do the right thing. Imagine that it goes a long way. (laughs) That's right. I mean, That's, again, why I like conscious capitalism. It's not throwing out the idea that capitalism works. I wholeheartedly believe that capitalism works. But I think where capitalism fails is when everybody is trying to get everything they can, even at your detriment, where I think, hey, there's enough here for everybody. I mean, I can grab me a slice of the pie. I can make sure you have a little bit and it doesn't hurt me and so forth and so on. So I think that's the right approach. And I think the success of your business, the fact that Inc., has recognized the business, your chamber of commerce has recognized it, screams loudly that it's a process that works. So Chris, tell us, what do you have up next? Is your focus right now just on the staffing agency? Is there anything you want to share if people want to get in touch with you and and talk with you more? How how can they do that? Well, a couple of things. I'm trying to find an operations manager here, and I I have to plug that. Do you have the job posting out there? I do. It's on on Indeed. Okay. We'll make sure to Uh, post it on our page here. I would love to find somebody with staffing experience, but you know, it is what it is. I'm about to do my first real estate deal and looking at uh, trying to diversify that. I am the best at what I do, and it makes it really hard to try to figure out if I want to do more staffing agencies or, you know, more branches of this company, or if I just want to do some different businesses altogether. But I'm an entrepreneur, and that I'm so passionate and I look back and I say, this is what I did with no resources. Now I have resources. So what can I do? And um, I'm not built to be a manager. I'm a business builder. And I can't wait to be able to answer that question um, more directly. Mm -hmm. The sky's the limit and I'm wide open. I really, really want to give back to people and share my story. And that's what my passion is, to give people hope and to build people up, man. That's really what I want to do. So I appreciate you allowing me to do that today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, you went from a dope dealer to now a hope dealer. So that's, 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 that's it. I'm honored to have you on. I thank you so much, Chris, for being a part of the show today. You have a great story. I hope everyone feels the same about it. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you very much. 
that wraps up this episode with Chris Rickerson. I really appreciated his time. Hopefully you're inspired by his story. Uh, You could hear in his voice that he's so happy about the turnaround in his life, and I'm excited for him. And you guys can go out, read more about Chris, uh, look for Elite Staffing Solutions. There's Inc. Magazine articles about him, and he's been a top winner. There's so much material out there on him. I really want you guys to check him out. Hopefully you're inspired by it. Look forward to talking to you next Sunday on the Marketplace Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening. The next episode of the Marketplace Podcast drops on Sunday, drops every Sunday. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating, a review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others find out about the show. I got love for you, and I know you have it for me. Help me raise the bar even higher. For more information about the show, follow me on Twitter at the handle P. Willis Sr. Until next Sunday, keep dreaming, keep pushing, and I'll do the same, and I'll talk to you soon. I'm the best ever. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious. (laughs) 